Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. My name is Taylor Kreis. I am the executive producer of the Psychology Podcast. And today I'm thrilled to be conducting a guest interview focused on the topic of lawyer well being. Yes, uh, today we are going to stay very practical and discuss some actionable strategies that lawyers and really anyone can use to become happier, more resilient, and more fulfilled human beings. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and I'm excited to get started. I'm very happy to introduce you to today's guest, Mr. Dan Bowling. Now, Dan is a law professor at Duke, a psychology researcher, a lawyer. He is the former senior vice president of the Coca-Cola company. He's a writer. And, and uh, my favorite... He's a self-described beach bum. <laughs> that makes two of us. Yeah. Uh, Dan, so happy to have you on the show today. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Taylor. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Thanks for coming on. Such a pleasure. I, I'd love to dive right in. You know, Dan, maybe you can start us off just by talking a little bit about your life's mission or... I'd say your work as it relates to positive psychology and lawyer well-being. Thank you, Taylor. I ended up in this specialty almost, uh, I won't say by accident, but uh, through a somewhat circuitous path. When I was uh, 
uh, at Coca-Cola. My The last job I had there after working my way up through the ranks was head of global human resources for uh, uh, the bottling units, about 80,000 people worldwide. And I became convinced during that period of time, uh, this would have been the early part of this century, uh, convinced that traits like optimism, uh, abilities and skills, the collaborative skills, team building skills, uh, positive emotions uh, were the key of performance throughout the company in all jobs. That really wasn't studied uh, in business schools even a short 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I was then found out there was a new science in psychology studying these issues and reaching some of the same conclusions that optimism, well-being, positivity had wonderful uh, benefits uh, both in one's life and in the workplace. I applied to an Ivy League program, the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program that I think many of your listeners are familiar oh, yes. with, and you are, a, and you're a proud graduate That's of right. Baylor. Loving it, <laughs> uh, and um, studied this. Got my Masters in Positive Psychology, and in the course of that study, being a lawyer and being someone who had just started teaching in law school. Uh, I realized the statistics that lawyers are a fascinating topic for positive psychologists because apparently we're supposedly so unhappy, but they still perform well, which doesn't doesn't apply in other domains of life. So I've spent, um, I suppose, my career now diving much deeper into those issues, both uh, doing research on them, working with lawyers, coaching lawyers, uh, teaching lawyers, and uh, and I'm delighted to be able to talk about it with your listeners today. Right on. We're really happy to hear about it. And thank you for sharing yourself with us, Dan. Uh, so, you know, before we really dive into lawyer well-being, I think it's probably important to start off with a little bit of information about what I might call like lawyer ill-being or lawyer languishing, maybe for the, the sake of alliteration. You know, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're working in this area. Most of my best friends are actually lawyers, and I want them to be happy. Uh, it seems like that can be a little tough at times in law, though. Even just a quick search, uh, there's some disheartening statistics out there. Lawyers, despite being some of the best paid professionals and, you know, they receive a great deal of admiration and prestige for what they do, they seem to suffer disproportionately high levels of unhappiness and mental malady. I have a few stats I wrote down here that I just found astounding to read off of here. We've got that lawyers suffer from depression at a rate that is 3.6 times higher than employed persons more generally. 19% of lawyers show symptoms of anxiety. 21% of attorneys are problem drinkers. And 52% of practicing lawyers describe themselves as dissatisfied. Disheartening numbers. You know, uh, Dan, why? <laughs> Just, why is that the it's, case, Dan? I, it, 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 you, now, and now you understand what drew me into the deep study of this yeah. issue. Uh, it, it, it's a real paradox. Uh, in most areas of life, um, wealth, power, challenging work, uh, doing well for others correlates with very high levels of well-being and happiness. What is it about lawyers that make us such an outlier? Right. And 
And as I go deeper in the question, uh, I think we have to ask ourselves, how much of that is really true? Sure. Uh, let me let me back up for a minute. You you mentioned most of your good friends are lawyers. I mean, I know you, Taylor. You're an outgoing, upbeat guy. Do you hang? Are all your friends? Do they meet the descript, des, descriptions you just read me? Well, firstly, thank you for the compliments you've just made my day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and fair point. Now you know I'd say that most of my lawyer friends are are cheery. Uh, hardworking, intelligent professionals that at times seem a little stressed because of the workload, the many hours that they work, but most of them seem to, to be more than staying afloat, so to speak. I know a few that seem very weighed down and uh, are wishing they could detach themselves from their email box for at least a day. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't, the, the numbers seem rather catastrophic and apocalyptic in a way that I don't see represented, at least amongst my friend group. Uh, that's one of the things that fascinated me and drew me so deeply into the topic, again, that most of my friends are lawyers. Uh, uh, many of my relatives are lawyers. I hang out with lawyers. Uh, I, like, I like lawyers. Lawyers are smart, well-educated, verbal people. Uh, they like to talk, like to have a good time. Uh, I'm not dismissing the stats. I'm not dismissing the real struggles that many lawyers do uh, engage upon. But I think the, the, to paint the law with as broad a brush as the, most of the commentators in the area do, and I do not deny the statistics. I have, um, uh, I mean, at least the studies you've cited, that is what the majority of studies show about lawyers being a fairly so socially and emotionally, uh, psychologically dysfunctional bunch as a whole. But there are very, very many um, happy lawyers. What is it that they do different? That's what I try to communicate and study and look at is what choices do certain individuals who go into the law or law school do who thrive in it? I mean, I have students. I have hundreds of students. I've had thousands of students over the uh, 11 years I've taught at Duke. And... I get to know my students. I'm an outgoing guy, yes, and I like, <laughs> and I and I like to to go go out and see them and socialize with them out of classes. And uh, I have many many uh, law students who love law school and do well. I have students who also are very down and, and get depressed. I, I, one way I think I like to think about it is: Are there a lot of legal professionals and lawyers? who uh, uh, meet the definition of, uh, that we talked about before, who uh, abuse substances, who are stressed, who are anxious, who have periods of depression. Absolutely. But I would ask, are there many other professionals in other fields in the modern Western world who don't, that are, are there any that are exempt from these issues? I don't think so. So. I hear, I hear that. Yeah. I think, I think lawyers Lawyers are real people, too. <laughs> and uh, if we looked at a bell curve distribution, I think the lawyer well-being um, happiness distribution or lack thereof is somewhat normalized, even when compared with other um, highly educated professions with high performance standards throughout the Western world. Fair points. Jeez, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be curious 
and I'd love to really move into some some great strategies sure. that the audience okay. use, you know, like tomorrow kind of thing to ex- explore sure. the well-being. Sure. But what is it about being a lawyer in particular that you think might cause some of these mental woes? Here, here's what um, are the usual culprits, mm. and we can, we can break them into to two. Uh, a is the nature of the work sure. and the way the work is structured, uh, the business of law. Uh, B, and I, this is a bit more controversial in my opinion, is the psychological makeup. What draw, do certain types, you know, Seligman theory, Martin Seligman, uh, the father of positive psychology, theorizes that pessimists are drawn to mm-hmm. law. And, person, and persons with a pessimistic life outlook, I'm sure your listeners know, tend to have a higher risk of uh, depression and anxiety later in life. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about the business of, of law, and I think these are the more valid uh, considerations. Law uh, is – people are attracted to law originally almost as more of an art, uh, as a profession. They, they see themselves crafting, working, and crafting novel theories to apply to different sets of facts. Uh, but once one – the practice of law today is, is a grind. Uh, one's time, for the most part, is kept in billable hours. Yes. The billable hour is a – that's a dreaded way to live anybody's life. That's what I like about the beach bum part of my <laughs> life. There are no billable hours on the beach. Um, and uh, there are tremendous demands on lawyers. I mean, typically for uh, most of my students end up going from big law firms in the big uh, cities, uh, coastal cities, in easily um, 2,000, 2,300, 2,400. 100 hours a year are expected them in billable hours. That doesn't mean checking your email. It doesn't mean going to lunch or taking a walk in the park. It means, you know, billable, billable work. This is up about, this is up uh, almost 50% wow. since I, since I entered the profession 30 uh, some years ago. So, so just the grind uh, just really gets to people. A lot of lawyers, too, who are graduating today, most lawyers, most people of your generation look for a lot more than life than just sitting in an office grinding away uh, and then just going home to a non-working spouse. I mean, life has changed. Uh, people want people want more balance in their life. And the law really isn't a place that's figured out how to offer that. I think business has a lot better. I mean, a lot more corporate world has become uh, the working world in general to become much more uh, flexible. Uh, jobs are more portable. Uh, work's more portable. Uh, law is uh, a quarter century behind these sort of de- developments. <laughs> and I, that's, that's one of the, those are some of the business reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, surveys from Gallup are showing that the millennial generation, our, our value system is shifted so heavily there's almost a chasm between us and generations prior in terms of our desires for work-life balance and digital nomadry has become the the desired move for a lot of people my age it's actually what i'm doing right now correct (laughs) very very good very good um well so that's uh, really insightful and i appreciate hearing about that i had interviewed a few of my friends who are lawyers and that's a lot of what I was hearing was just that they had to be there for so many hours that they were a little bit of a slave to the idea of the billable hour. And 
the way that the system is structured essentially is isn't something that you can fight at this point. I don't I don't know many lawyers who are digital nomads or who get to set their own hours or decide to you know knock off early. It's it's usually that you're you're stuck there doing your work kind of thing. Well, you're stuck there if you want to. Uh you know, move, get the brass ring in, in law, you know, being a partner in a law firm or being able to go out and make your own law firm and own clients. Many people do opt out for a healthier lifestyle where, and do become more digital, uh, digitally nomadic. I know some here in Durham who are part-time faculty who are also parts of law firm, but, uh, but to, to achieve the highest rungs of the law, it's, uh, it's still show up and grind away. I hear you. Well, so I, I see that as all speaking to point one out of the two that you were making. Yes, uh, yes. If we could talk maybe about some of the psychological makeup points. Aha, aha. And here's, I differ from many of my colleagues in this regard uh, and have had uh, healthy debates with some who work in the lawyer unhappiness industry. It's got to be fun uh, for if, a lawyer. If, <laughs> yes, if, if, there, if there is one. First of all, uh, my mentor and friend, your friend, Martin Seligman, I, di- I disagree with him. I do not think pessimists are drawn to go to law school. That is a common misconception based on a one study done years ago at one law school involving one small subset of students. My research at three or four different law schools uh, actually showed that persons entering and applying to law school have higher levels of hope and optimism than a generally educated U.S. population. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I do not think pessimists are drawn to law. B, I don't think pessimism is taught in law school or law. Yes, are we trained to look for the worst thing that can happen? Yes. Does a good lawyer sit there? And when you, if you ever have to talk to a lawyer, if a good lawyer isn't going to tell you, Taylor, that, sorry, your case is hopeless. There's nothing we can do. You'll probably get the electric chair. And you said, look, it was, it was just a, an open container. What, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, no, we, I think lawyers tend to be more prudent and should be prudent, but that's not the same thing as pessimism. I'm not sold based on my research and other research I've uh, read that there's something in that draws some psychological uh, deficiency that draws people to law. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case. I think, again, uh, when we talk about lawyers, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Right. We're talking about a representative sample of every type you can imagine in in the human race. So That's fascinating. For So I actually gave a talk for the American Bar Association Continued Learning CLE, right? Not too long ago yep, with yep, uh, yep. friend Martha Knudsen. And, yeah, oh yeah, and the topic that I chose was lawyer pessimism, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and just about yeah. everything I'd seen online, really, I, I'm not sure I saw a sure. dissenting opinion was that if not that lawyers are pessimists and so they're drawn to law, then maybe law school inculcates a sort of pessimistic worldview by trying to teach lawyers to be quote unquote prudent. You know, what with clients coming uh-huh. in and being your job to be um, on the lookout for potential threats on the horizon, it's helpful actually to think, well, everything's going to go wrong in the worst possible way and, and it's never going to get any better. Right. So in that sense, I, my understanding was that law school maybe trains people to be pessimistic because it's, it's helpful in producing effective lawyers. 
I, I think you're on to something there, but let me kind of phrase it a little. Let me frame it a little differently sure. for you. Law, law school, particularly the first year model of law school, uh, I don't think we train students to become pessimistic, but I do think if you could have a laboratory for inducing learned helplessness in a population, the first year of law school is perfect. <laughs> Learn. Sure. Sorry. Sorry. It is very rough, though. I, my friends, when they started it, in law school, were having a pretty rough time. It, it's perfect. It's really if we if if we set out as psychologists, you and your listeners, to design something that's going to depress a population, first year law school model would be a pretty good proxy for for mm. that. Uh, there's no feedback other than negative feedback in class. I mean, the pressure to be at the top students are ranked top to bottom. Uh, there's virtually no collaboration. It's Everyone's thrown together uh, at each other. Another one's success is another one's failing. There is There are no grades. There are no grades until after the semester's over. You get one grade in each course. So you, know, you could be the next Supreme Court. You, you could be a Supreme Court justice in the future or a block out. But you won't, don't really know. This creates a sense of hopelessness, helplessness uh, among many first-year law students who uh, I, I can see walking around the hallways in January and February. It's kind of sad. Very, very different look, looks on faces than there were in August at the beginning of school. Right. To the extent, I think you said earlier, are we going to change big law? You know, the listeners of uh, our podcast here, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to blow up the first year model totally either. Although more people in uh, the, my profession, more people are talking about it, uh, you know, business schools, uh, medical schools have really, their models have become much more, I think, humane uh, over the years. Uh, again, I told, my stu- I told my students just last week, I think if we look at the institutions of law and compare them to, to business to me- and other professions and the professions, I, again, I think we're, we're always about a couple of decades behind. But I'm optimistic that there, there will be some changes. There's there. some lawyer optimism. <laughs> Right on. Uh, oh, you've made me hungry. That, it's lunchtime on these coasts. That sounded oh, great. Cool. Good. Yeah. No, no. I think I might. I'm going to sign up for Blue yeah, Apron. I, yeah, really. So we were talking about lawyer optimism and pessimism, basically covering some of the issues facing lawyers or why they might. Sure. Let, 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 let me say one thing. When I talk about my focus is on, say, the life above zero for lawyers. Uh, and what do happier lawyers and lawyers reporting well-being uh, do differently and how I am not quick to embrace the notion that lawyers are, as a group, far more depressed, anxious than other similarly situated, educated professionals in the year 2017 in the Western democracies. Uh, There's a lot of stress in the world these days. That does not discount the important work being done with those lawyers who are stressed and anxious. And there are many, and yes, we have, suicide has been an issue in our profession, like others. There are many lawyers out there uh, who are suffering and depressed. And so I'm not trying to be in any way dismissive of those. I mean, it's very easy for me to tell you and, and your listeners that uh, well-being surveys I've done on students over the years uh, using the Satisfaction of Life Scale 
shows students to basically be roughly around the same satisfaction with life score. It's around 24, 25 is the adult U.S. population. But, but there are those, and for those uh, at the bottom side of the scale, I think we have to have tremendous empathy and work with those individuals. And I do think uh, by at least focusing on the issue, even if it's overstated a little bit, whether it is or isn't, has made the bar associations and institutions and legal institutions more sensitive and more uh, more able to react and deal with these things. So it's a good thing. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a it's a wonderful reframe of, of the situation. You know, I, I feel like it's almost a socially acceptable punchline to say that like lawyers are just depressed, anxious, alcoholics. It's, it's it's not that simple. You know, no. it's, it's upsetting to have an entire people distilled down to a, a caricature. Yeah. Right. right. Well, so, Dan, I'm loving our conversation. Got <laughs> it. Yeah, me so too. Me too. Ah, this is cool. me too. Uh, so, you know, we've covered a few of the reasons why there may be like a disproportionate level of unhappiness or unhealthy behaviors in the legal population. Let's turn and get super positive psychology on it. Yeah. 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 So what might be some practical, like, try this out tomorrow sort of strategies that you would recommend or that you've seen work with your students to help lawyers, uh, you know, what would we say, maybe become more mindful or use their character strengths, et cetera, et cetera? Well, uh, I think you've hit on, you've answered the question. Let's apply positive psychology to lawyers in the legal population. Earlier this week, I was asked to give a talk to the student body here at Duke as a whole on this very issue. It was March 28th was uh, Lawyer Mental Health Day. This was last last week. Uh, And the point I tried to make is that what things do we're not going to change big law here in in the talk I gave or us on this podcast or in the next few days or any uh, ABA committee isn't going to change the way big law firms work. Right. Uh, aren't going to, aren't going to change first year model at law school today. What, a person who becomes a lawyer, you're going to have to deal with stress, anxiety, tough clients, and all the external factors that make, can make law. Uh, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough way to way to make a living. I get it. It's hard. But possibly lawyers can do something to change themselves, do something to change themselves within that environment. And I like to think about it in terms of uh, six or seven choices mm. that that persons entering the law or practicing law can make. And I think these work uh, for, all, for everybody, not just, just lawyers. And first of all, one has to understand. And while I'm talking about choices, I'm not talking about those big capital C choices like, do I get married? Do I move? Do I take this job or that job? Do I go back to graduate school or not? I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about little everyday choices we make by the hour almost, maybe even more. Uh, I'm talking about small cognitive and behavioral strategies that all of us can adopt. Uh, on an ongoing basis, because truth be known, uh, I think as the work of uh, Sonia Lubmierski and others have shown, you can choose a uh, chunk of your own happiness. 
I mean, a lot of happiness is, if you think of a cake, you know, a lot, a lot of people's propensity to well-being is baked into their genetic cake. I mean, biology does, you know, there are people who just are born with a little bit more spring in their step, so yes. to speak. And there are other people who uh, life seems a little more difficult uh, as that goes yeah. on. But so, so some of this is, is just genetic, but we can affect at least a certain percentage of it. Some of it is life circumstances, but most people who study it surprisingly say what happens to you in life does not control your happiness or well-being in life over time. Uh, you know, you've heard of studies how lottery winners, you know, a couple of years later, many are broke or miserable again. Uh, there are there's plenty of evidence that people who suffer severe trauma in their lives go on to leave flourishing uh, and fulfilled and happy lives. There's, you know, there is hope in life, even after bad things happening. So again, what choices are made uh, in daily strategies and do people do? And one is um, choosing optimism, choosing an optimistic approach to life in life situations. Uh, Lots of good things attach themselves to optimism. Optimism is not the same thing as well-being, but they're pretty close cousins. People do better, uh, generally optimistic people do better at work, in life, in marriage, in um, relationships, getting things done, in leadership. But I'm not talking about just thinking everything's going to be for the best, like the, the fictional character Pollyanna. Everything will always turn out great. When I'm, what I'm, talking about and when people in positive psychology talk about optimistic optimism we're talking about a realistic fact-based assessment of the future but with a positive bias a realistic fact-based assessment of the future but with a positive bias you or i have no idea what the future holds one minute from now a day from now, a week from now, how things are going to turn out, how a job's going to work out, how a challenge is going to resolve itself. Why not, rather than convincing yourself that it's going to turn out poorly, like 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 which is instinctive for a lot of people, that be realistic, assess it, but have a positive bias. If you have a choice, we we only have fuzzy knowledge of the future. You might as well choose a positive uh, approach. And this would sound of like an empty suggestion choosing optimism if we didn't know that optimism can be learned. That's a very new development, new in the sense of a quarter century in psychology. But optimism, to us, it's not easy, but optimistic thinking patterns and habits can be learned. And one of them is what I've just suggested. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, just this in and of itself has altered my life for the better drastically. Going, Thank yeah, you. Going into... The MAP program, we end up reading a book by Dr. Oh. Martin Seligman called Learned oh, Optimism. Yes, and uh, <laughs> it was an awakening for me where I came to have knowledge of what we call the negativity bias. You know, humans have survived to this point because our ancestors were the kinds of animals to think that that rustling in the bushes behind you was a saber-toothed tiger instead of like, yeah, yeah right. instead of like a Pomeranian or something like that. So that, that thinking right. that things are probably going to hurt you or harmful or scary it it helps keeps us alive or at least it did yeah. in that in our environment that was very different from the one we're in now 
and the issue is that that negativity bias in this modern world, it's, it's not a saber tooth tiger anymore. It's my boss telling me I did a crappy job and now I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. And now I'm starting to think it, that I suck and I'll never find another job. And, and, you know, stopping and just realizing I was having these kinds of catastrophic thoughts and questioning their validity, just being like, that's not true. You know, and why am I thinking so negatively? And then reconditioning my thought patterns towards a more optimistic, uh, explanatory style in the way that you've described has, I, I mean, it's heads and tails. I'm, I feel like a different person. It's uh, amazing. It's, it's, it, it really works. And you just gave perfect examples of that. Uh, and Learned Optimism, a book uh, you mentioned, Taylor, if uh, your listeners want to read one book on well-being, uh, uh, to really get at the bottom bottom of it, uh, learned optimism from Seligman is is one to read. That along with my academic papers, <laughs> of course, <laughs> that's, that's implicit. <laughs> I need the hits and downloads for my. <laughs> uh, I'll, go, I'll go like everything after this. If you go like, uh, okay, downloads. thank, thank <laughs> you. But you know, you, you and Taylor, you 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 perfectly set me up for the second point uh, choice. I think lawyers make, and that's choosing choosing to keep perspective. And the best way to keep perspective on one's life is exactly what you said: shutting up that negative voice in your head. You you know what I'm talking about? The negative voice in oh, your yes. head, telling you you're a failure, you're a fraud, you don't know what you're talking about, uh, or this nobody's listening to this. Back to evolution again. Uh, this is another carryover of the uh, the monster outside the door that's baked into our genes. Um, we're our brain, our sub, our conscious, our heads, always telling us danger, danger. Watch out! There's problems here. Things aren't going to work for you. Think of your own thought. We're constantly there's a dialogue running on in our head. And I and I tell you what, if there were some crazy radio announcers who parked in your head or some cable news host of the opposite political party you're in who is just blabbing away nonstop in your head, you'd probably turn off the channel, turn the channel, right. right? Or on your head. Yeah, but we don't do that to ourselves. And I tell lawyers, you know, lawyers, you know, law students, you're trained to cross-examine. Cross-examine your internal voice. Ask them, is there evidence for that? You say, my boss is mad or I'm going to screw up. Really? What's the evidence? Do you have a foundation for that? Cross-examine that negative voice in your head. Uh, other ways to practice, you know, um, choices lawyers make in um, keeping perspective. Many engage in mindfulness techniques. I'm not going to spend much time on that, not being an expert, but I know you. Many of uh, uh, as a way to keep perspective. And avoiding rumination. Live life through the front windshield, not the rearview mirror. It sounds kind of hokey, but that's how I really try to live my life. Focus on fu the future, not try to relive or refight battles that are already yeah. gone. A third choice uh, I think happy people make and happy lawyers make, and you've alluded to it earlier, just learning how to use one's strengths. What are your strengths? How do you use them at work? Uh, gravitate, particularly for lawyers, but any workers, Gravitate toward things that, that you're good at uh, and like doing. You're going to be at your best when you're using strengths, not constantly trying to fix problems uh, with yourself. Uh, if I tried to, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I can't do. I'm just not good at. I don't like it. Uh, doing spreadsheets and I shouldn't go out and, you know, become an investment banker at this stage of my career. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. But 
but I know my limitations and learning one's own limitations and focusing on one's strengths is a choice people make. Absolutely. I love that. You know, decades of research from DC and Ryan, some very well-known researchers, they've suggested that humans have three fundamental psychological needs. And one of them is, is competence is just effectance feeling yeah. like we're, we're good at what we do, that we can change the world at will and that we're, we're powerful creatures in our universe, so to speak. And I think character strengths has got to be one of the best ways to feel like you're, you're living your best possible life. Like you're showing up as your best possible self. Um, I, I, again, I do a lot of wonderful work with character strengths with some of my uh, coaching clients. For those of you out there who would be interested in exploring your own character strengths, you can go to the, uh, the via, is it .org? Uh, Fred, I don't know the website. So basically, Google uh, via via.org. Okay, very cool. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's via.org. Yeah. There's a survey on there that you can, and it'll tell you what some of your top strengths are. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to work around these things, i got to say. Right. You can also find a copy of that survey at authentichappiness.com, which is run through the University of Pennsylvania uh, computers where I, I do some work. So uh, it's free and it's academically validated. It's It's great stuff. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned competence and self-determination mm -hmm. theory. Lawrence Krieger, a professor and researcher at a Florida State University, about a year ago published, to me, I think the most comprehensive, uh, it, and anyone can find it online, Krieger, K-R-E-I-E, -E, well, G-E-R, mm -hmm. uh, a survey of lawyers and well-being and what factors went into lawyers reporting higher levels of well-being 15 years into the job. The number ones were around autonomy and competence, oh, wow. you know, self-determination, where the lawyers reporting highest levels of satisfaction were, uh, it was competence at doing one's job, who either probably through accident fell into their strengths. That is wonderful. I did not know about that. I, I'm, I've started working a little bit with some of my lawyer friends, actually, and I'm doing as much research as I can in the area. That, that's hugely illuminating. I appreciate that, Dan. You are a repository of useful knowledge. Well, <laughs> I think that's what they pay us for here at Academic. <laughs> at, least, at least have a little working knowledge in the area. Uh, you know, another choice, uh, and this is everybody. This is true everywhere. But uh, just stay active, keep moving. Again, back to our biology. This is one place where our biology is good. We can make biology work with us, and evolution work for us. Is that we're programmed for movement and play. We're programmed to play. I think that is an issue in law, and particularly the culture of law. People, you walk down the faculty hallway here. It's quiet, and there's these doors closed, and people sitting with two or three screens on their desk and piles of paper, and we're all grinding away. And, you know, I'd get up and walk around a lot. Everybody, you know, must think I'm some sort of crazy person. But uh, inactivity kills. It kills the body. It kills the mind. It kills the spirit. Um, find, ways to, find ways to keep moving. Yeah. Trial lawyers, trial lawyers, people who try a bunch of cases. My brother's one. Uh, uh, this is speculation, but tend to, uh, I think, in general, tend to report some more higher levels of happiness, some than just office lawyers. And I just wonder how much of it is you're getting, you're moving around, you're changing locations, you're going from courtroom to courtroom, you're standing up, you're on your feet, work under incredible stress, but uh, many are fairly happy people. Right. I mean, I'd imagine a fair amount. I, that's probably my top one or two well-being 
uh, sort of closely guarded habits on a daily basis is to get to the gym. I, I start to slide a little dark yeah. otherwise, and it makes sense. So, you know, we're, uh, we're monkeys. We need to swing from trees. <laughs> Precisely. We, we, did not, we did not descend from cows grazing okay. in a pasture. Right. I love that. A couple of more, you know, and this is close to activity, but again, the more research, more data, the more I look at populations and thousands of people over a long period of time, uh, humor, you know, people choosing just to laugh and play mm. and having a sense of humor. I mean, I'm enjoying this conversation. I think, I hope you are, I hope your listeners are, but we're, we're, we're laughing. Some. This is a serious topic, but we're able to deal it with humor. Humor is a virtue. Humor has been considered a virtue for thousands of years because in its the way it can kind of tune up a group like an orchestra tunes. Uh, it creates bonds. It creates uh, positive endorphins. Um, choosing to levity and laughing. You don't have to tell jokes if you don't know how to tell a joke, but just enjoy life while we're here. That's a wonderful recommendation. I love it. So it's funny. I guess like humans are really one of the only animals that laugh. I uh, stopped to think about it. Never, never seen my Pomeranian start laughing. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. too much. He does play, though. That's, well, they wag their tail. They have their own <laughs> ways. This is true. Very nice. So, but quickly, um, choosing relationships. You know, Chris, the late Chris Peterson, the great, great uh, personality psychologist and uh, a person who I had the privilege to teach with one year in the uh, Master's in Positive Psychology wow. program at Penn, um, would give talks around the world on happiness research. And invariably, he, he would tell the story, invariably, a hand would go up and say, well, what is the one key to happiness <laughs> after this complex technical academic presentation? And his answer always was, other people matter. Yeah. Other people matter. It's relationships. Uh, forming relationships uh, with others is an absolute strategy uh, that is very important. I try to talk to my it, law students about and lawyers I coach with, which is sometimes tough because law can be a zero-sum game. Right. So I win, you lose. I mean, that's the way, as I said, the grading system works in the first year. Uh, that's the way much of a much work in law does. So forming relationships and keeping relationship are uh, extremely, extremely important. I, I know it to be one of the top predictors of overall well-being. Relationships are an essential aspect of a good life and a, a great strategy for someone who's trying to become a, a happier, healthier, more productive human being. Right, right, right. And and my final tip, and this is what I could, I used to be kind of glib about, and I almost hesitate when I discuss it with people. Um, but it's choosing to look for meaning. There's a lot of evidence on Nate, particularly in the workplace, that persons who report their uh, work as a calling are, are happier or higher levels of life satisfaction than those who just see it as a grind or a job. And, and that and it and it makes sense that it would be that way. I'm always hesitant to tell anyone. Uh, still trying to make their way in the world, still trying to just find a job sometimes uh, or, or a career, say, oh, by the way, you need to go do this, this, and this. And by the way, when you do find a job, make sure it's calling or else you're going to be miserable. <laughs> right. That's a lot of <laughs> or, pressure. Or make, sure, 
it's a lot of pressure. I mean, if what I, I, I'm not one of these graduation speakers that talks about you go find a life of meaning. <laughs> they, they, most graduating students want to just be able to find, you know, how to get an apartment or get paid uh, rather than meaning. Uh, but all I can suggest on that is be aware of uh, finding it meaning in life. Think about meaning in life. Continue looking for it. It's a lifelong journey. I've uh, been in the workplace for over 30 years, uh, work in academic space. And is my life meaningful? I think so. And I think this is a calling, but I'm a little, uh, I don't know if that's really for me to say. But I am aware that having a sense of meaning uh, and a calling and doing things where one uh, is satisfying something more than just uh, a need for a paycheck correlates very strongly with happiness and well-being for lawyers and uh, across all lives. Absolutely. I found that it's really hard to get some people to discuss meaning in a way. It's, it feels a little uh, highfalutin or, or like new age, yeah. good peacock yeah. or something like that. You yeah. know? But really cool study from the Wharton professor, Adam Grant, who's also, I mean, works pretty yeah. closely with the MAP program. Yep. Jeez, I, I don't remember any of the details, but I'm hoping I won't butcher this. He conducted an experiment with telemarketers, and it was the job of these telemarketers to cold call people and try and get donations to send kids to college. And so mm -hmm. what he did was he brought some of those kids that got into college to speak to the telemarketers that helped them go to school just for five minutes, like these people looked at each other in the eye and these telemarketers got to see the positive difference they were making to these children. I mean, I mean it was a hugely meaningful uh, experience. But aside from an experience of meaning, they also tracking the numbers and donations they were getting found that the group of telemarketers that spoke to these children their average donations per week went up by like $300 or something like that. It was, yeah, it was yeah. substantial. I think they were only getting maybe like 180 or $200 a week. So to go to like 500 is, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's basically a performance enhancer even in the workplace and in raising the bottom line. So, you know, it doesn't need to be that financial success and, and prestige are divorced entirely from a life of well-being. And it's a really just sort of a hardening message, I think, from that. Uh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and for people who are also want to dive deeper into kind of these existential topics and look more into meaning, we had an episode with Emily Esfahani-Smith, uh, ah. who is my advisor, actually, on oh, the yeah. capstone in the MAP program. I adore her. She's so great. New book called The Power of Meaning. And uh, read yeah, it, right? Do read it. It's wonderful book. Wonderful yeah, book. Truly. And uh, one more episode, I think, is actually been released last week with Roy Baumeister, who's a, a uh -huh. psych social psychologist and a really cool guy. <laughs> and a guy who a brilliant man and a guy who likes to laugh. His life. True. Yes, really. He's he's a lot of fun. <laughs> I think that guy. Great. Um, wonderful. Wow. I'm. I'm Loving this. One one thing before we close, uh, and I hesitate to start throwing a few names out there, but because uh, I'll forget a lot. But there are several lawyers who are also MAP graduates who are called to this field of study and work. And I think we all work come at it slightly differently, but but they're doing just great things. Um, one's Ann Bradford, who was a uh, was a part powerful uh, partner in a 
global law firm. And after MAP uh, uh, resigned and uh, has devoted her life to study of lawyers and well-being and actually leads an ABA committee that I'm a member of on lawyers and well-being. So she's doing great work and maybe helping change bar standards to encourage more well-being. You mentioned Martha Paula Davis Lack. Uh, uh, is a consultant and a speaker, uh, again, a lawyer, and she works with lawyers in burnout. Uh, Dave Sharon uh, is another one who works with lawyers. Sean Doyle, I could uh, keep going. Uh, Jan Stanley, there's there's uh, there's something about in the water at MAP that makes those of us who are lawyers go out and decide to uh, understand more about this and work with lawyers. That's wonderful. It's empowering to have you, uh, all of you spearheading these great initiatives. It's I'm laughing right now just because I had one more question or two more that I wanted to ask really quickly, and and it was sure. supposed to be part of a surprise that I I, I had reached out to Ann Bradford and to Martha Knudsen and and asked them if if they wanted to be a source for some questions for for our boy Aha. Dan on, on on air. Yeah, Aha. yeah. So um, you know, two of our uh, assistant instructors from the MAP program, lawyers and wonderful people, looking to to improve lawyer well being. I have two questions here if you got time for it. Sure, oh, sure. Cool. If I can answer them, they're very smart people. Truly, truly, very. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, here we go. If someone was trying to decide whether to go to law school, what advice would you give? Is it still a good idea? As for post law school, is it possible to be happy in big firms, or should graduates avoid them? Any advice on what to ask on interviews? It is what it all says. That's a lot. Maybe we can. <laughs> that, that's a multi-parter. Yeah. Was that from both of them? Uh, yeah, the, these are all from both of them. <laughs> yeah, and thank you, Martha and and, and I, I know you you delighted getting Dan here. So, uh, but but they were both students of mine in the MAP program. Your listeners, uh, I love them both. Uh, well, first of all, I'd answer this: if asking to go to law school, I get asked that a lot. I actually have a daughter working in New York that I love very much. Who. Uh, um, brilliant person who's sometimes ask me the same questions. And I think the answer is uh, when I'm asked that, I said, well, why do you want to be a lawyer? Why do you want to go to law school? I mean, is it something to do for three years uh, that you can borrow a lot of money and don't have to worry about a, another okay. job? Uh, is it, uh, are you going, and I'm talking about the people in general, I will ask uh, this. Uh, are, are you doing it just because you think you're going to make a lot of money? Uh, are you doing it just because uh, you have no other idea what you're going to do with your law de- with your English degree? Or do you really kind of want to be a lawyer, even if you can't articulate that what that is? That's how I felt coming uh, out, out of college. I really wanted to be a, a lawyer. Uh, I Again, what I knew of lawyers, I'd, I grew up in the civil rights era in Mississippi, and what I knew of lawyers is what I'd see on TV or read in books or in shows about you know, putting the clan behind bars, you know, good lawyers. And that was very inspiring to me. Uh, uh, So I had some, if someone wants to be a lawyer and really be in a position to affect lives, corporations, cases, and and make a difference, I say, go to law school by all means. If it is a vague reason, um, don't do it. It's too hard, too expensive, too many years out of your life. Uh, As to the question, can happiness exist in big firms? Sure. But you're going to have to find it on your own. Uh, we have, we're having a reunion uh, here at the law school is, not my class, uh, this weekend. So I'll go to some of the reunion activities. I'll see several students who are just two or three years out that I've been in some contact with. And they're loving practicing law in big firms. They're loving it. 
I have others who've called me and have left uh, after six months, just absolutely miserable. So uh, it, uh, it it depends on getting in the right situation, uh, getting a situation where you can align your strengths with your work. Yeah. It is possible. Uh, I would, would I do it were I graduating today? I doubt it very seriously. And I wouldn't, um, because I think I know myself uh, well at this time as for big firm. But uh, it is certainly possible uh, in a big firm to be happy. But again, know yourself. Know yourself. And I would say my students are about mixed. I'd say it's a mixed bag on the students I'm advising. And what was the third part of their question? Uh, right. I think it was actually an eight-part question. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it says, any advice on what to ask during interviews? And I'm actually not totally sure what that means. Maybe I copied and pasted and cut something off, or does that have significance to someone in a, with a legal background? Uh, ask about strengths. What are your strengths? What do you most like doing? Where do you find flow? When do you feel yourself? Mm. What is your hobby? I mean, I... Uh, when I, throughout my career, uh, not just for law, but for any job, I want to know a lot about the person. What makes the person tick? Sure. I wasn't the type one to ask them to explain their theory on uh, receivership in a loan document, you know, during, during interview. A lot of interviewers will, probably most would. But I would ask, you know, particularly if we're, you're thinking about it from a positive psych standpoint, a well-being standpoint, get to know the person. Ask about strengths. Great. I can see how that ties all the way back into our beginning of our conversation and how you got interested yep. in how traits like optimism yep. and character strengths fuel productivity. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know, I have to thank you a thousand times for your time and your expertise and just your uh, your jovial temperament, Dan. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, do you. Was there anything that you wanted to promote? Taylor, I would love to get to know some of your listeners today. You can find me... Uh, on Facebook, that's Dan Bowling. Uh, there's another Dan Bowling, uh, far younger and more handsome, who works at Amazon. That's my son. That's not me. Uh, but Dan Bowling on Facebook, send me a friend request, uh, and I'll friend you and love to. I post some of my articles there. And also on Twitter's an easy one. I post things there. It's at Bowling Dan, capital B O W L I N G, capital D A N. And finally, on LinkedIn, again, Daniel Bowling or Daniel Bowling Third, I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, I would love to, uh, again, get to know some of your listeners. Thanks. For myself, I guess, uh, you know, I just moved to Los Angeles, so I'm setting up my private positive psychology coaching and consulting business. If you have yep, any yep. interest in the latest science of, of how to be healthier, wealthier, and more fulfilled, please reach out to me. You can go to my website, taylorchrist.com. My last name is K-R-E-I-S-S. -S. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, do some writing. I, I do some talks around the area. And very cool. Uh, you know, everyone listening, please enjoy your day. See you around. Thank Later. you, Taylor. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought-provoking and interesting as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can visit thepsychologypodcast.com.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 